0: but I do believe with all of my heart that God has something to say to each and every one of us. This has not just been preached to myself recently, but because of our brothers, mom and dad, they were so very thankful about everything. And so I've tried to make it be a part of my life. So Stephen was a man of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. But then there arose some people. uh, The Bible says that they soborned or they were underhanded about this. They got people to come against Stephen to say he was blaspheming against the law, against the temple and so forth. So they couldn't resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Now, it says that all that sat in the council looked steadfastly at Stephen saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So we go to Acts chapter 7. Let's begin to read verses 51 to 60, then Acts 8, 1 through 4. Stephen, in chapter 7 of Acts, begins his defense of the gospel. Then he says in verse 51, talking to the Sanhedrin council and to everyone that was there. You know, when you read this, because we're looking at it from a godly perspective, Stephen's not really on trial. They are. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Listen to what he says to him. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and, heart and ears. Now, isn't that something? Oh, my goodness. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which shewed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been murderers now, the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Usually, when you always read of a, 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 a Jesus, once he uh, was re- received back into heaven, he's always sitting. But guess what he's doing? He's getting to welcome his first martyr into heaven. And it's like when Stephen said, I see, I see him standing on the right hand of God. It's a means of encouragement to his servant. That's preaching the gospel freely, I mean, pure, with, with unadulterated lips. And so he's getting to welcome Stephen in. Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran upon him with one accord, and listened what they did to this wonderful person, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses, here we have the first beginning of the character of Saul, and laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus receive my spirit he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice lord lay not this sin to their charge and when he had said this he fell asleep sounds similar to the lord on the cross and it says the colors of his character never show more fully and beautifully than when he is on the cross suspended between heaven and earth his hands here his nails the feet and he said father forgive them for they know not what they do such a wonderful character that Stephen had so now we go to Acts chapter 8 verse 1 and Saul was consenting unto his death and at the, that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea Samaria except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, inhaling men and women, committed them to prison. In other words, I looked up that word, and it means he and others, they were dragging. Can you imagine someone coming into your house, you own it, and then here comes people that don't like you being Christians, you're going to be persecuted, and they're dragging them out of the house. So, with Acts chapter 8, one, uh, I read that. So now listen to this. Acts 22, 4. Paul says, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. Acts twenty six ten, Many of the saints I shut up in prison, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against it. Uh, Galatians 1:13. Beyond measure. I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Now, Acts chapter 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jesus. And as he journeyed, He came near Damascus. uh, H.A. Ironside in his book of Acts, he says the wolf was getting close to the sheep, but God was paying very close attention. It says, as he journeyed, the persecutor with threats on his lips and slaughter in his heart sets off to Damascus. It was a very long journey of about 130 miles. With the lack of current transportation, it would take at least six days' journey. A considerable portion of this was over a vast desert where there was nothing to distract his mind from its own reflections. Don't you think the apostle Paul, I mean Saul then, was having his conscience, oh my goodness, what is going on here? <clears throat> on his past persecutions, Paul no doubt saw information about Jesus and his followers as he passed through the country where our Lord had done so many deeds of kindness The unsuspecting peasant and homely shepherds were full of the kindness of God. Little children pronounce the blessings, uh, repeated the blessings pronounced on their heads, and mothers tell of tender deeds and kind words that changed their lives and brightened homes. Their faces light up as they mention his name. Now, one thing we know about Saul—he was sincere, and he wasn't going to do anything halfway. Do you know anybody like that? If they're going to do it, they're all out. I mean, no joking about it. This is what it is, my mindset, and I'm going to do that. I used to have pretty much of a uh, made-up mind, but uh, Dina I help me about that. <clears throat> I- I'm trying to mature, trying to mature. For, for, for today, I'm just going to share this. She doesn't know I'm going to say this. She's wandering. We went to see uh, Hal and Merle and uh, deliver the, the, the gift with some money, an uh, envelope for Lindsay. And uh, he had heard me talk about this before because he talked about it. What do you, the GI rations, where, where uh, when there's a hurricane or whatever and you don't have food to eat, you can kind of heat these things up. What do you call, MRIs. Oh, how many likes them? I love them. Oh, look at Kathy Schofield in the back. <laughs> she just can't believe I said that. Oh, my goodness. And they've even got cookies with them, I think, and even candy. It's wonderful. So here, How he says, hey, Kenny. You know how Howe talks. Hey, I got a box over here. <laughs> it's full of these M-R-E- MREs. He said, you can take all you want. Man, I start, I fold everything nice and neat. <laughs> Got it there where they won't fall out. Dina's looking, she says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't want them. You don't want them. You'll only eat one or two, then, then, then they'll go bad. And how I said, well, they're good to 2021. Uh, <laughs> well, much to my displeasure, you all know this saying, happy wife, happy life. So guess what I did? I put him back and gave him to Hal. He kind of muttered something, and I think he kind of went in the house. <laughs> so Dina wouldn't start on him. No, I'm just picking. I'm just picking. But <clears throat> on uh, when Paul falls to the ground, we know he was sincere, and it couldn't help contrasting this loving Jesus of Nazareth with his own hate and malice. He discovers that he is persecuting incarnate love god manifested in the flesh so when he hears the voice of the lord jesus not in condemnation not in anger or rebuke but simply asking the why why are you persecuting me why are you doing this of all this persecution on love he is conquered an author It's where I got this here and I read this. I said, oh my goodness, how wonderful. He's knocked flat to the ground on the way to Damascus. And Paul never recovered from that fall. What was it? It was the impact of God's grace that was given to him at the moment. He saw the risen, glorified Savior in person. And God speaking to him directly. Oh, people will say God still doesn't speak directly to people. Oh, yes, he does. He just did here with, with Saul. Oh, my goodness. So he never recovered from the impact of grace. Why? In all these books that he writes, I he always mention grace, grace is the best he can wish them because grace is the best he himself ever received. Think about it. He's thinking he's doing God service. He's serving God, he thinks. When he realizes, all my life, what I've been doing, it was against God. And here, God doesn't leave him there hanging. Christ doesn't. He gives him grace. Paul stressed that a price has been paid by God himself. God gave up his own son. Then give up on humanity. Does that say something about Almighty God? Grace is free. Only because the giver himself has borne the cost. Let me turn here to this. I did not put this in my notes. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Ephesians 1.7. I think they're going to put this up on the wall. But there's some footnotes. Sister Sue and my life in the spirit. Oh, page 1,858 if you're there. See, see if that is there. Is it? Where it talks about redemption? Uh, Ephesians 1.7, then up here, the, the note that it has up there about redemption. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We have the same Bible. Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of what? His grace. Oh, my goodness. It occurs three times in the book of Ephesians and has the meaning of deliverance with a price. The price paid by Christ was costly through His blood. Paul reveals in this book that God's provision of redemption in Christ covers the full range of human need. Redemption is not a partial redemption. It's whole and it's complete. Our need of forgiveness, deliverance, reconciliation, peace, love, new life, wisdom, understanding. And look what it says here community. That's us. That's us. That He might create in one thing, both in heaven and earth, one new thing. What was it? One new man. Everyone created in Christ Jesus. His body, His family. We're the family of God. We belong to him, and he belongs to us. Acceptance, order, security, hope, and victory in our conflict with Satan and his forces. Paul realized that man had lost the original divine purpose of his life in the Garden of Eden, and it was simply this, communion with God. Devilish, drastic situations demand a divine solution. And listen, God already knew what was going to happen and in reserved. He had one going by this name. The Lamb slain on the foundation of the world. God, His Son, would step in and voluntarily come and take our place on the cross. God could have left man in his sinful state, forever separated from God, but God in His grace and love stretched out His hand A second time to redeem. To create, God had but to speak, and it was done. But to redeem, God had to bleed. Think about that. In the beginning, to create, he just had to say the word, and everything came into existence. But to bring man back into fellowship with him, which is the purpose of redemption, he had to bleed. He did this in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He sent him to take for us the place of death upon the cross which our sin had so richly deserved. There's a, uh, a thing up here. I've got Cole. And that lets me know I've got to tell an example about co. Our grandson. Got a phone call. And when I told this to uh, Mike, Kenny's father-in-law, Paul, Paul, I'm Paul, to our grandson. He's about uh, 12 years old. And he said, Paul, I said, what, Cole? He says, Um, when are you gonna need your grass cut? I said, Well, it's been raining. How many knows it's been raining recently and everything? I said, Well, it may be two or three days. This is bothering me. <clears throat> hey, Stephen, I'm putting it straight. You like everything straight? So I said, I'll give you a call. Well, I didn't have to give him a call in two days. He gave me another call. Hey, Paul, what co? Is it time to cut grass? And uh, I said, Well, okay. Mimi's going to come get you, and then you can cut the grass. <clears throat> so he comes and uh, I make an outline for what he's going to try to do. Last time I had this uh, craftsman. Nothing wrong with craftsman, but it wasn't self-propelled. I want you to know. After I'm 65 years young. And finally, Seth, I have my first Honda self-propelled rear lawnmower. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Oh, I'm supposed to be i supposed to be staying right here for them. Oh, I'm all right. So, really, I didn't let him cut as much as maybe what I should have, because I was wanting to try it out. <laughs> Oh, my! I, I, I love to cut grass. Uh, read, eat, and vacuum clean. <laughs> Dina's glad about the vacuum cleaning. So there he is. He's cutting. He's kind of getting, his cheek's getting kind of rosy. So, Cole, you're through. You're through. Well, Dina's going to take him back to Amy, his mother. And Dina and I had talked. Okay. Give him $20. Give him $20 for about 20 minutes worth. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. See, he needed to buy something. It was some kind of game or something. So, he, so Mike said, he gives me a call like that, too. He's Pawpaw. And so, uh, then Dina said, no, no. That's our grandson. Give him five more. How many of you knows what I'm talking about? They have grandchildren. <laughs> so that's 25 Okay, no problem. $25. So... Uh, she takes him home. Now listen to this. She hands him the money. He doesn't, now he never counts it. Oh no, he waits till he gets home to count it. And so, but Dina's, when, when he had it in his fingers, in his hands, Dina looked over at her grandson. And he had a smile on his face. He was getting that money. So she took him home. Dina came back. She said, Kenny. I said, what? I gave him five more dollars. (laughs) I gave him five more dollars. No problem. No problem. My retirement will come in next week. (laughs) And so she gave him $30. Now here's what's beautiful. This is what's beautiful. Thank you for putting up with me. Amy, his mother, came back and called Dina, and Dina answered the phone. And she said, when he came in the house, Jonathan, he said, now listen to this. Mama, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this $30 because I barely hardly cut any grace. But that's Mimi and Paul's prerogative. He's our, they don't call him grand for no reason. They're grand. They're our grand. He's our grandson. So what was we saying? Oh, my goodness. There's so many things that we have not deserved. But God, in his rich mercy and forgiveness, he gives us what we don't deserve. I, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is being spared what you deserve. And grace is being given what you don't deserve. Did I say it right? What we don't deserve. Oh, my goodness. Like Paul, before he met the risen and glorified Christ, many people are asking, What is the purpose of life? How can I find it? How can I be sure it is the right one? Well, that's a simple solution. All we need to do is turn to God's book. (laughs) Isn't that right? That's right. We find a clear, simple answer to this most important question. The Bible plainly clearly states that there is but one purpose for mankind. And that purpose is the same whether you're male or female, young or old, nationality or status in society. Deuteronomy 10, 12. What doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk on him in all his ways and to love him? Micah 6, 8. He has shewed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy. Oh, and listen to this. And, Brother Willie, and to walk humbly with thy God. All right, Mark 12, 30. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, with all thy strength. It appears that the Bible answered to the question, what is the purpose of life? It is to know, love, and walk with God. That is, to see God. And to see God as the purpose of life, we see him in the face of Jesus Christ. He's the express image of his person, the visible the visible God for the invisible God. All right. What is the chief end of man? With these words, the 17th century Westminster Confession answered the question. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Another man said, thou hast created, created us for thyself, and our hearts are restless. did They find their rest in thee. One man said, my goal is God himself. Not joy, not peace, nor even blessing, but himself, my God, my God. All right. Christ speaking in John 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Philip Keller and and Sister Sue knows he's one of my favorite authors. This is what he said. You've got to wait until I get a drink of water. Now listen how profound this is. For when all else is said and done, a man's greatest and highest goal in life is to enjoy intimate communion with God, with Christ. The companionship which can be developed and cultivated between Christ, who is God, very God, and a humble human being is based upon a clear understanding of His character the Apostle Paul's crying in Philippians 3.10, Oh, that I may know him, that I may become more progressively and deeply acquainted with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clear. All right. <clears throat> Listen to this. A story is told about a dinner party where the guests were expected to stand after the meal and recite something for the group. Now, how would you like that? Oh, my goodness. What would you do? Well, a famous actor was present, and he recited the 23rd Psalm with great dramatic flair and emotion, and he sat down to great applause. Then a very simple man got up and began to recite the same Psalm. He wasn't very eloquent, so at first... The group, uh, from his, uh, so pe- people thought it was a little funny. But his presentation was straight from his heart. And so when he finished, the group sat in restful silence. It was obvious that the simple man's presentation was more powerful than the actor's. Afterwards, the actor told him, I know the psalm. You know the shepherd. <laughs> That's what it's all about, saints of God. It's not knowing about him. It's knowing him. Stephen and them, you've been skiing in Colorado, right? I can read all about it. I want to. In fact, I know everything about it. Get the right clothes, the boots, and everything, the cap. But you know what? I can only imagine. I don't know what it's like till I actually experience. Oh, my goodness. So many people think, well, I've got to merit his salvation. So they try to do more service for him. But guess what? You can't do enough service to merit His free gift of grace. It's free. You can't merit it. It's only in knowing Him. Now, one definition of grace is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. I remember when I was working out there at uh, Goodyear at Wintac, and I kind of made this dramatic, on another time I'll make it dramatic again. Oh, my goodness. I was down on my knees. Dina knows what I'm doing. <sighs> from time to time, I'd take my helmet off, and I'd just wipe the perspiration from my face. The pipes were hot. It was hot out there. And oh, my goodness, I was slaving for my wife. I was trying to do everything I could to try to help her. Well, in myself, too. I like to eat. How many likes to eat? So, I'm I'm having a hard time. It's hot out there. I'm an insulator. It's hot pipes. I'm putting insulation on it. I'm on the shell on my knees. Oh, I said, if I just had some water. I thought about getting up and going through the pipe rack and everything, climb out and go get it. Well, I happened to look over there again, and there was a man with a, a cup. You know those white cups? On the job, and it was full of cold water. You talk about thankfulness, and I gave him a lot of thanks. Later, I kept on looking intentionally where I could return the kindness, and I found out one day he was had his hands lots of full of stuff, had his little uh, cart that he would carry pumps on and everything. I said, "Hey, hey, hey, hey! You don't need to do that all by yourself." I said, let me help you. So I took his cart and took him all the way to the thing. Grateful, thankful. Okay, let's go a little bit further. I'm on the job. It's cold, cold, cold. I'm dressed for it, but I'm still cold. Now, thankfulness, trying to find the best out of something. So the thought just came to my mind my goodness. What do, I said to my co to the coworker or to Billy Hinton there at Goodyear, I said, "What? Just think how cold it would be if there was no hurricane fence." You get it? I see Wendy laughing. And I was being honest. Just think, the whole brute force of that wind would come there on me, but the hurricane fence is blocking off one percent. huh (laughs) finally brethren whatsoever things are true honest just pure lovely of good report if there be any virtue if there be any praise think on these things Jacob has said all the things against me oh man he's lost one two maybe three sons getting ready to and all the time he didn't realize God's already got Joseph in Egypt preparing to save the family (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Dina was talking to a man and Donna, and he said when people come up and all are only seeing the bad part of life and everything, and there's many things that we do go through, and they are tough. They are tough. I mean, it's by the grace of God that we get through them. And he says, think about this, when uh, he said, oh, you might think, oh, my, I have so many leaves in the swimming pool, and that can be a drudgery, it can be really hard. But then look what he said. However, you should just be thankful to be blessed with such a nice pool to enjoy. How many times? All right, there was 10 lepers that cried to Jesus out of the distance. Oh God, have mercy upon us and heal us. We're unclean. Nine went on their way when he said, go to the temple, show yourself that you're clean and everything. But one, when he realized, or the amplified, when he recognized that he had been healed, he's the alien, the foreign, the Samaritan. And he said, He came back with a loud voice, fell at Christ's feet, and what? Gave him thanks. Jesus said, where are the other nine? I never, none of us should ever want to be included with those other nine. Let us be that one that came back and gave thanks to God. You know, I'm going to ask Cindy something. (laughs) Cindy, it was Christmas. And I don't know if mother was sick at that time. She might have been. I don't know. She might have been. But you and Stephen got her a a clock for her mantle. Remember that? She opened it up. She looked at it. It was a clock encased in wood. It was beautiful. And listen, what did mother do? You would have thought it had cost $10,000. Right, Cindy? Do you still remember what? What? Our mama did, your mother-in-law. Oh, my goodness. Look at this. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, it's going to look so good right here on this mantle. We need to be a people of utmost importance to be thankful for our daily benefits, for the grace that God gives to us, our blessings. You know, sometimes we'll be out there on the back. We had a... Said, you know, if we had a space there where you could fall and hurt yourself, well, I, you know, now it's, I got it covered up. Dean had been wanting that done for years. I finally got it done. <laughs> it's covered up, and it's beautiful. It looks beautiful. We get back there and sit, and I, some of those birds, I'll have to admit, they can kind of get on your nerves. And just say, oh, shut up. And seen something different. <laughs> have you done the same? Oh, my goodness. But you know, we should enjoy God's handiwork of nature. Enjoy that bird chirping. I'm thinking right now, I look after it. my mind goes to the, little, to the little bird that only had one leg. The red bird? The cardinal? Have you seen it lately? No. I mean, they would talk about that. But it didn't complain or didn't um, fuss or grumble or mumble. My goodness. We need to appreciate everything. The little bitty things, Mama said, is what's the most important thing. Lots of people want their names up in the, uh, in the lights and everything with the glitter and so forth. But she said, Kenny, Stephen, be mindful to mind little things. Do the little things in life that lots of people won't even recognize because it's got to be a servant to do that, to see that. So because of Mother's help and the Holy Ghost, we've always tried to look out for that which was little and to do it. Gratitude. When it comes to life, one of the most critical things is whether you and I take things for granted or take them with gratitude. There is no unthankfulness in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> no unthankfulness in heaven. So we might as well get used to doing it down here because we're going to be doing it forever, for all eternity. It is the presence or absence of a thankful spirit which makes all the difference in our lives. Gratitude to God is the sunshine of our souls. So, that was in the material, but but the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Galatians 2, 20, 21, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who, what's it? What is it? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Then, verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Listen to him. For if law, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ's death is in vain. So, listen to the Amplified. Therefore... I do not treat God's gracious gift, His grace of His gift of grace, as of something of minor importance in defeat its very purpose. How I many is being in a line waiting to get uh, someone to let you in line? What's God trying to do right there? Trying to develop patience. Dennis said, "Kenny, you don't have to let all three of them course get in." <laughs> When she was born, brought to the hospital, the nurse came there and talked to her Her dad. Said, you have a daughter. He said, no, not me. I just brought her in. I think she was born in 17 minutes, and she hadn't even stopped now. Boom, 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 boom. Let's get it. Let's get it. That's one of the things we kind of fuss about since my retirement. I'm just kind of laid back and slow, and and I'll just kind of go a little bit while I'm trying to adjust myself and get better. Especially with this pandemic. When I retired, I thought I had to be her chauffeur. I'd take her everywhere, everywhere. And finally, I realized, you know what? I think my precious wife needs some downtown, downtime. (laughs) She needs to be able to get in that car and go wherever she wants to go. So I'm reluctant, but I do it. And I let her have her own time. So I don't know why I said that. Oh, my goodness. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. I'm almost through. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that because I say it three times. (laughs) Acts chapter 20. Again, the definition of grace, one of them is this. We know unmerited favor but the divine influence upon the heart. And then it's reflection in our lives, including gratitude. So, right here, Paul, and you know Stephen, uh, Clint, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. So, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, called the elders of the church, and when they would come to him, He said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came unto Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And the thing came to my mind, not just fall, winter, spring, summer, but all seasons in their life when they might have been encountering some tough times, some tribulations or trials, testings. The Apostle Paul, we know he stayed there three years, so he was there to encourage them, to help them, to know that they could make it. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the laying in wait of the Jews. Humility or lowliness of mind. George Whitefield, or Whitefield, however you say it, is it Whitfield? I think he was a contemporary with the Wesleys. And he had just got through with a message, and oh my goodness, the people were just talking round about. What a great speaker! Amazing. He's so eloquent. And in this book, George Whitefield Whitefield responded, well, just as I got out of the pulpit, the devil told me it was great. And this is how he responded to what the people said about him. There's lots of people, this is true about Kitty, that can preach that gospel more eloquent and better, have more of a command of the language of English. But none can preach a better gospel. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Lots of people can preach it better. More of a command of the English language. That's great. But none can preach. It's encouraging to all of us. A better gospel. A better gospel. And with tears. Listen to this. Paul on several occasions mentioned his servant the Lord with tears. In this address to the Ephesian elders. He speaks of daily warning them with tears for a period of three years. The tears were not the result of weakness. Rather, Paul saw the lost condition of the human race, the evil consequences of sin, the distortion of the gospel, and the peril of rejecting the Lord are such great realities that his preaching was often accompanied by tears. He cared for people. Oh, my goodness. Then he says, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and taught you Publicly and from house to house. Remember before he was saved, he went to house to house? What was he doing? Dragging men and women out? Now that he's saved, guess what he's doing? <laughs> he's going to house to house. Oh my goodness. Or water. So much love in his heart for God that God had been so gracious to Him and kind to Him, shown in such grace, unmerited favor. And the more you love God, guess what? The more you love people. The more you care for the body of Christ. The more you care for the unbeliever. We've entered into God's family by the new birth. We're enjoying God's family. But Jesus also wants His family enlarged. He wants that family enlarged where we witness to one another and show them the grace of God upon our lives. In 1940, we know Germany invaded France, and this lady was giving a speech, and she noticed a friend of bygone days, and she said to him, How come you got a look of joy upon your face while all your other fellows with you are doom and gloom? And this is what he responded. She said, How do you manage? And this is what he said, Oh, I have the joy. Of putting back together this world. Oh my goodness. Take that spiritually. And all the chaos. The turmoil. The confusion that we see on TV right now. And I'm almost to the point. I don't even watch it. Don't even watch it. You know what? You and I have that opportunity with joy in our heart. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And now now God has given unto you and I. A word of reconciliation. Where we can go forth and witness to other people. Oh my goodness. The joy. Christ said in one place, my house is not full. Go back out into the highways, the hedges, the byways, and compel them to come in. One of them said, I can't come. Just got a new thing of oxen. Another one said, just bought some land. The other one said, and this might be the, 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 the best excuse, I just married a wife. <laughs> but Christ said, cast them all out into outer darkness. That was bidden to the wedding feast. I know he's mainly talking about the children of Israel there, forsaking God's Uh, prophets and everything that came to him. But it comes upon us to realize, my goodness, nothing must be more important than loving God for who he is, not just for his gifts, and then loving other people, taking an interest to care for other people. Then he said, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Sometimes people can change their message to the crowd. Paul never changed his message to the crowd. Whether he was preaching to the Jews or to the Greeks, it was repentance towards God And faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. He never compromised. Never compromised. Then, oh my goodness, I forgot about house to house. Now, Stephen, part of this is for you. In the early days of Pentecost, I read this, I looked in my book, and I could not find who the pastor was. But people began to notice somebody out there. And I just gave it away. People noticed that somebody, when it began to get dark, was out their gates. Out their fences. Pretty soon, it began to spread all over the house. Who is this individual that when it gets dark, he's coming by our house and everything? It was our beloved pastor. He has said, oh, my goodness. He said, if I can get closer to them, if I can, I can be able to pray for them better and feel their, bur- their burdens from house to house. That's what Paul did. Now, Stephen, don't go to house to house. <laughs> you might get shot. <laughs> Nowadays, huh? That's right. But we have other ways of what? My goodness, getting ready to have a fellowship over at Jonathan and Morgan's house. Oh, my goodness. The social, the the fellowship and everything is just wonderful. And we want other people to come and join us. Our fellowships with the Father, with His Son. And we want you to enjoy this. And that your joy be full. You know, we have lots of things in common, don't we? We have a common faith. Fellowship means having things in common. It involves participation and sharing. And guess what? We have the same faith, the same Lord, and we also have the same enemy. So we don't want to be each other's enemy. We want to try to help one another. Then it goes on to this. He said, I know now that I go bound in the Spirit. That's what the Holy Ghost is witnessing in every city, saying, The bonds and afflictions are about me. But listen what he said. But none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the grace of God. No wonder in all of his letterheads he first puts grace, peace, mercy be unto you. Oh, he was so thankful from the beginning of his life as a Christian to the end of his life. So thankful for the grace of God. You can go to 1 Timothy 1, I think, 12 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and try to quote it. Listen to Paul's words. And I thank God that he hath enabled me, putting me into the ministry, who was before a persecutor, a blasphemy, a persecutor injurious. Is that the way to say it? Or cause an injury. But the grace of God and the grace of the Lord was, hang on, let me get there. I'm going to go ahead and say this. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And here he says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. What for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Paul realized that he was going to have to suffer great persecution. He was going to also have to be a witness before kings and before all manner of people. So he realized that the grace of God was so valuable to him that everywhere he went and preached the gospel, it was about grace. Think about that. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, let's go to 2 Timothy four twenty-two. What do you think the last words that Paul uttered that we have recorded in Scripture? We're going to find out, Stephen. He goes and he gives greetings, benediction. says there's two people that's been uh, hard on him. tells Timothy to watch out for him. But then Onesiphorus, he's came to him. It refreshed him so many times. And then he says, do thy dentists to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee in Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. And here it is the last words that we have recorded in Scripture of the Apostle Paul. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. And then what's it say? Grace be with you all. Oh my goodness. Why? Because he never recovered from the impact of grace. You've heard the story. That stephen gave of mother uh, receiving the baptism in the holy ghost brother robert briggs told it to me th- this way he said uh, brother robert turnish had came to visit mother and she said to him after a time oh would you like to find out here how i got filled with the holy ghost so she explained to him they talk a little bit more he's getting ready to leave and mother she's under uh, medication she's got breast cancer this arm or one of the arms was twice as big as the other one. And she would forgotten that she had already talked to him. And she, he, Brother Roberts, getting ready to leave. And she says, oh, by the way, have I told you? Uh, when I just got filled with the Holy Ghost. So very kindly, impatient, he says, he sits down, he says, Sister Morgan, tell me again. <laughs> tell me again. That's the same way it was with the Apostle Paul when he realized, oh, my goodness, the greatest gift that he could ever receive was was grace. And that's the best that he wished for everybody else. Mother would tell us <clears throat> from time to time. She would say, I would see her. She would get dad off to work. Probably give him a kiss. Give him his bucket. And, and, and I've got Stephen. My brother gave me that bucket. And I'm saying, how in the world did a grown man exist with that? It's like this. And it's like that. A little place to put your beverage. I said, My goodness, you couldn't put two or three sandwiches in that almost. Nowadays, I wore one across my back. I had everything in there I wanted. She'd get him off to work, kiss him, get him off to work. I was little at that time. Stephen's not even born. And I'd see her go to that bathroom, to that bathroom. She'd close the door, and I know she got down on her knees or on her side, and she'd start praying. It continued for years and years and years. Stephen said, After I had left the house, Because it wasn't because I was mad or anything. I just found her. (laughs) There wasn't anything wrong with mom and daddy. They wasn't perfect. But they loved God with all their heart. And I have fond memories that nobody can take away from my heart. Several times from Goodyear, I couldn't wait till I'd get off. Because 5290 Phelps Road is just right there, Cindy, from Goodyear. And on purpose, I made On purpose, I'd go. I'd drive by there real slow, 5290 Phelps Road. I'd look at the tree where we used is a big old sycamore tree, and where we used to climb it. Climb it. Uh, when we was over at your house not too long ago, finally, about a year ago, Stephen told me, brother, I never told you this, but I fell from that tree. I, I felt so bad. Oh, if I could have only been there to try to help you or whatever, he probably couldn't talk, Cindy. He was hurting so bad. So I look at that. I'm reminiscing. I go, oh, father, I see all the wax lagustriums. That she had, by now, they're almost eight foot tall. When she had planned on them, we'd keep them like, like that. But, oh, that wasn't why I came. That wasn't why I came. That wasn't why I couldn't wait to get off of work. I'd go a little bit farther. I'd look back out of that car. There's the window. There's the window. That's where God met Mama. And Mama met God. She prayed. That was the bathroom window where she sought God. First and foremost, to know him for herself, not to know about him. She didn't cherish the gifts that he would give her later on, speaking into, of speaking of prophesying prof, uh, tongues and interpretation in the church, or to my brother, to myself on special occasions. I remember one of the times when the Lord spoke to mom and he said, Blessings, 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 I'll bless you, but in return you must bless others. It's always about others. It's always about others. When Jesus is a vine, we're the branches. And when the fruit goes on us, it's not for us. It's a harvest that he can delight in. When he sees the fruit of his character growing within each and every one of our lives. And it's a fruit that can refresh others. They can see Jesus in your face. They'll love Jesus because they see Jesus in you. It's not about us. It's about others. Romans eight thirty-two. If he spared not his own son, but delivered it up for us all, will he not with him also freely give us all other things? Mama used to say with Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added unto you. She would tell me over and over again, she said, Kenny, if I spend time with God first and foremost, the best, most quality time of my life was in the morning when she got daddy off to work, she didn't have to worry about myself. She said, I can vacuum clean better. Do you remember this? She said, I can do the dishes better. And if a problem arises that I'm not aware of, I can handle it with more calm. Why should it for hours and hours and hours? Brother Sister Bridges, the same thing. Sister Kay's mom and dad, right back there, and others. Lady Hancock, Sister Selfgate, and others. Their whole main focus, like the Apostle Paul, was a passion for Jesus. A passion for Jesus. Then he'd say, oh, Father, here, I'll not read it much more. I'm almost through. we're just going to come and sing a song. He says, listen to his heart. The divine influence of grace upon his heart. It's reflection of light It shown out in public display. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. He could have been a rich man. Thank you for the money. Thank you the money that Barnabas donated, the land, and they, they've distributed to care for the needy if he had been A huckster. He could have got the money, but the Holy Spirit kept him in check and his love for the gospel was so much. He said, I don't want to offend God in any way. He's been so good to me.